you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. It's Sunday afternoon. It's 1991. And my mom and I are driving down Alameda Street. It's a year before we moved to the west side. And I said, mijo, look, look. Mijo, look outside. Mira, mira. Los cowboys, they're black cowboys. And I see these two older black men on horses. I was only six. These cowboys seem magical and wondrous. And their horses seem like they're from a different world. I remember your face looking through the window with this big smile. And I look at my mom and I say, you knew about this? You know, it's really hard to process things at that age. It felt like I had been missing out on something that I now know is a sacred mythology, but was completely erased from the history books in my school. And I wasn't alone. The other black and brown children in my school were also deprived of this story. We didn't know we could be cowboys. And 25 years later, I'm back on Alameda Street. And I'm driving to meet a group of childhood friends who call themselves the Compton Cowboys. They live in a farming community called the Richland Farms, an oasis in the heart of Compton. Your destination is on the left. I started coming to the ranch in 2018 when I was working on a New York Times story about the group. It was only supposed to be a 2,000 word story but it got way deeper and I became friends with the Cowboys. And I realized that these men and women and the ranch potentially held answers for redemption and for healing. This is California Love and I'm Walter. It's 4.30 a.m., Tuesday, beginning of December, 2019. Anthony's an early bird, just like me. He's the only person awake in Building 12 of the Imperial Courts in Watts. It's one of the largest housing projects west of the Mississippi. And that's all I do, just like I'm doing right now. Anthony has an early morning routine. And when I jump in his truck, he's right in the middle of it. He lights up a black and mild, 
and adjust his mirrors. He's on his way to a ranch inside the Richland Farms where he cares for horses. It's home to the Compton Cowboys. He takes a giant puff, releases the smoke in the air, and then drives off. And so this is your route every single morning, right? Uh, uh, first, I used to stop right here at the light and go down Willowbrook, but I had to switch it up because a big truck hit my mirror. I always be in my mirror, so I don't let nobody follow me. It's really early, but Anthony's head is already on a swivel. And he's constantly looking around. The maskers that come from that corner next to where that mail truck at, right. they be all right there on both corners. Chilling? Chilling, just sitting there. Anthony sits high above all the neighborhood drama in a truck he calls Big Red. Big Red is huge. It looks fit for a really tall person. But Anthony's a short guy. On a good day, he's maybe 5'5". Five five. We pass by different neighborhoods and stop at a gas station at the intersection of Alondra and Acacia Avenue. We're deep in the Acacia Block Scripps territory where many of his friends have lost their lives to the Compton Vadio 7-0s, a local Mexican gang. Now, if you are black, come to this gas station, so they'll come and rush you. Are you from Acacia? That mean Acacia. Yeah, try to beat up on you or they'll either shoot at you. So the homies had to make them leave or kill them, shoot them. But ain't none of them right there no more. None of them. This hurts to hear. But I understand both sides, because I'm the son of a black father and Mexican mother, and I'm no stranger to black and brown violence in LA. This gas station is where his best friend, black, his day one, was murdered three years ago. Each landmark that we pass holds a lot of memories. The beauty salon with the Diaz in front of it, the Mexican meat market with the cows on the roof, and Mom's Burgers on the left, Compton High School's on the right. These Compton landmarks have seen loss and violence. The street signs say Acacia, so... Acacia is the name of Anthony's gang and the name of his only daughter. He first read about its meaning in the Bible when he was incarcerated more than 15 years ago. I'll be like, what's that? I'm right there, that's my name, Daddy. Now her, she love her name. Acacia means two things, renewal and resurrection. Anthony prayed he would have both when he got out of prison. These streets are a part of him, and he's loyal. TR was murdered last year. As a child, Anthony was either on the streets or on the ranch. When Compton was founded in 1888, a part of it was zoned for farming. The area was called the Richland Farms, and it was home to the cowboys I saw as a child. The ranch was started by Maisha Akbar, a member of the Hook family, and it sits on an acre of land. In 1988, Maisha started a nonprofit called the Compton Junior Posse and she used it as a way to keep her children and their friends off the streets. And it all started in her backyard. 
There are four single-family homes surrounding it. And when they look out their back window, there's horses, cows, dogs, cats, llamas, chickens. And right in the middle, there's an oval-shaped riding arena filled with soft, loose dirt. People say, if you make a wrong turn down the right street, you run into it. Once you find the hidden secret, it's like, oh, this is here? Oh, you have an oasis. Back here on the ranch, it's like, I can breathe. Just like a deep breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's like the world just chills out for a minute. <laughs> when you come back here, you don't see the rest of Compton. <laughs> Who's in top eight? <laughs> that was drama back in the days. Why you took me out to top eight? Right. Why you took me out? Right. Why, you put, why you put a girl up there? Well, I'm sitting here now. I mean, you know, we're together. A lot of cowboys come to the ranch. There's T-Man, Kiara, Trey, Carlton, Lele. How about Keenan? Keenan, oh man, he like me, worker hardy. What you need help with, bro? I got you, man. Anthony knows every single one of them. The only thing Keenan need is his beer. She's the number one on my top eight. right now. Two days later. Two days later? <laughs> All the oh. homies back up there. All the homies back on there? <laughs> like that one homie who got pushed out? Mm -hmm. While Keenan and I are talking about our old MySpace Top 8, Anthony's busy raking. Anthony is the first cowboy at the ranch every morning. He tends to the horses, and he oversees the entire property. He's been doing this for almost 10 years. He loves it. I'm happy. I'm at work. I love hearing my animals, especially my cat. Gangster, he follows me everywhere. Look, he way up there. The ranch means different things. It's a sanctuary, and it feels like a secret that the cowboys have dedicated their lives to protect. It's also a place where people can go and feel safe. The racial violence that exists down the street, at the gas station, doesn't exist in the farms. Black and brown people ride together here and are connected through a shared love of horses. The ranch is where Anthony feels closest to his truest self. Every time I go there, it's like, you're free. <laughs> nobody be on you, nobody hounding you. It's like a free world. It feels like there are no limits to what can happen inside of the ranch. Cool, cool being a pony? Hell yeah. Cowboys are even allowed to be ponies. Hold on, like if you had a choice, you'd be a pony instead of Thoroughbred? Heck yeah, I'd rather be a pony. It's like the middle life of like freedom. If you was a full-blown horse, you gotta deal with too many responsibilities. That's, that's so good. The, big, the quarter horses, all the horses, yeah, they gotta deal with the adults. Ant wanna be a pony, he said. I wanna be a pony. Uh -huh. I'm, 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 a little, already a little nigga. Little, I'm little, little, so I'm coming head. through. Like, <laughs> finesse. Little pony. Be a pony, Randy? If you had a choice. Pony a big horse, which one? Be honest, bro. I'd rather be a big ass horse. Style. Like, oh, here come Randy. Here me coming. My hood's hitting the ground hard. Hair swinging. <laughs> the big ass stallion with the hair swinging? That's Randy. That's down at the creek. There's Randy. He's Maisha's nephew. It's a couple of years ago. Maisha's the founder of the ranch. This is from the city of Los Angeles. As she stands beside her walls, her voice is light and soft, and her spirit is calm. This calmness wasn't available to her when she led the Compton Junior Posse for almost 30 years. 
The toll of the work was a lot on her body, and it eventually caused an aneurysm, forcing her to hand over the ranch to her nephew, Randy. It wasn't easy letting go of the ranch, mostly because horses have been a part of her entire life. One, three, seven, well. well, as a child, from the time I can remember, my dad and I used to, every Saturday morning, watch westerns. John Wayne, Randolph Scott, I knew, Carrie Cooper, you know, just all those old westerns. When she jumped on a horse at the age of eight, the horses became real. So I just felt like, oh, I'm a movie star now. I'm actually doing it, not just watching it. That feeling stuck with her. When she moved to the Richmond Farms, she passed down that same feeling to her children and their friends in the neighborhood. All the kids always say, oh, it's like flying. It is. It took a breath, like, oh, I'm on a horse. You know, I've been trying to figure this out my whole life. Like, what is it about you? Because when you own a horse, you elevate it. People are literally looking up to you, you know? It's like, man, you just feel invincible. From the beginning of our administration, we've taken strong steps to do something about this horror. Ronald Reagan's administration expanded the war on drugs. But some Compton residents believed there was a war on black people. And by next year, our spending for drug law enforcement will have more than tripled from its 1981 levels. When Maisha first moved to the hub city, black middle-class families were moving out of Compton. Jobs that were available to black families in the 60s and 70s were now being shipped overseas. It left the community with some of the highest rates of unemployment in the nation. Oh man, back in the days, it was such a big war. While there was a war going on in the Middle East in the 90s, there was also a war going on in Compton. The crack cocaine epidemic was in full force. Compton's Bloods and Crips and Mexican gangs, they were all wrestling for control over drug territories. So many of the kids were getting killed. I mean, we lost over 40 kids' lives. Maisha's kids were often targets, and so were their friends. And so my mission was to be more competitive with the gangs. These gangs needed young people to survive, so they recruited. The gangs brought them in with love, support, and respect. Maisha did the exact same thing. The Compton Junior Posse provided tutoring, clothing, food, and free horse riding lessons. She gave these kids love, and they sometimes didn't know how to respond to it. You know, I would keep talking to them, and they would say, why you keep talking to me, Miss Maisha? You know I'm going to be dead by the time I'm 15. My mama's a gangbanger. My daddy's a gangbanger. I'm going to be dead pretty soon, so don't even worry about me. That would just wrench my heart, you know. I said, no, you don't have to be dead. We're going to keep you busy. We're going to get you doing something. Find something different to do. Maisha had three kids. They were all in elementary school, and she met Anthony through them. Anthony became one of the kids she was trying to protect. He was always happy to be there, always smiling. So you're always happy to see Anthony! (laughs) (laughs) Most of them were afraid of me. They said I was like their grandmother. She's seen me go through a lot on these streets. She like put me under her wing, like, okay, you don't have to do that. It's like a mom. 
Anthony's own mom was absent from his life. When he was in elementary school, Anthony's father moved him to the Acacia block. Anthony Sr. worked multiple jobs to support his son. He was hardly ever home. Anthony spent a lot of time alone, and like most kids, he sought out love and attention. He found it in front of his apartment complex, where the LGs would hang out. Anthony looked up to them. I mean, who wouldn't? They looked fly, had money, and drove around in Buick Regals. It only took a matter of months before he was initiated into the Acacia Block Crips. He was only eight years old. It was almost like he never had a choice. It's either you were a part of the gang or you were against them. What did you do in, in prison to pass time? Like, how'd you make sense of all that? Mainly drawing. Drawing characters, horses. Anthony was incarcerated for more than two years in a California federal prison for the possession of narcotics with the intent to sell. He passed the time by drawing, writing, and painting. At some point, his hobby turned into a daily ritual. But prison isn't a place with a wide range of art supplies, so Anthony had to make his own using his favorite candy. You, know, you gotta mix your water and Skittles to make your color. <laughs> Nobody know about that color. Anthony used the color of Skittles to create vivid horse paintings. He sent them and handwritten letters home to his family. Hey, Lolo, baby. Hi, Anthony. I've been thinking about you. Me and the baby's fine. The kids are good. Hi, Daddy. I miss you. Wish I could hold you in my arms. I hope to see you soon. I miss you. I love you, baby. Anthony also sang to Lolo on the phone. Those horse paintings helped Anthony in more ways than he could ever imagine. What'd your cellmate think about this? He, he thought it was cool because I was drawing him stuff, <laughs> sending home. You was drawing him horses? Yeah, I was drawing him characters, horses, <laughs> whatever he wanted. I colored it. Oh, thanks, man. That's soup. Anthony's paintings became his own personal currency. He traded them for an extra soup at lunch, a Snickers bar, or anything else he wanted. Everyone started calling him the horseman, and it was an alter ego that kept him safe. The first few weeks after his release were the toughest. He was physically free, but the structure of prison still confined him. The barking orders of correctional officers, the constant threat of violence, and the early morning wake-up calls, they all haunted him. But being around his baby mama and his daughter, that's what he had dreamt about in prison. And now, he had it. But his phone didn't stop ringing. And every time someone from his past called, he would tell his daughter or his wife to say he wasn't home. The hood is in me. I can't never give it up. But the streets didn't teach me nothing but to go to jail. Like now, if I could take you through there, the gangbangers, my homies always 
All of them gonna be in the same spot doing the same thing. His friends were still hanging on the block, but he and Lolo chose to stay away from it. The phone kept ringing. They kept saying he wasn't home. And then Maisha called. She needed help running the ranch and offered Anthony a job. Anthony hadn't stepped on the ranch in more than 10 years. When I walked to the back, it was a shocker because I'm like, ooh, I'm at home. After that phone call, he became its full-time groundskeeper. And he's never looked back. My home is like my life back there. If you call the police, I'm not going to leave. My horse taller than your horse. Ah! Oh, yeah. I can see over the gate. You can't. And it's not just the horses that keep him here. It's also the relationships with the other cowboys. Happy oh, cowboys. Good morning. Oh, boy. <laughs> the ranch isn't just a ranch. Beneath all the jokes and shit talking, there's something more profound taking place that can maybe help Compton heal from some of its wounds. And it all begins and ends with the horses. But the ranch, it's actually not doing so well. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Get him with Red Dog watching. There is something so special between the cowboys and the horses here. It feels like they speak the same language and also share a similar story. You can't let them stay in the stall all day. That's just like you standing there, not moving, your bones get cramps and get stiff. So you got to let them out to stretch their bones. Let them play. Almost every horse on the ranch has a troubled past. Some were abused and malnourished, and then eventually sold at horse auctions for little money. Who they are today is not who they were when they first arrived. You know, the hood hardens you from a young age, and when you're hard, you can get yourself into shit. Randy knows what it's like to get into shit. Like this one time with Slim, his best friend. And his mom used to call him Sweet Boy. He's a nice kid, but he's one of them dudes that hyper-aggressive. Slim was always getting into fights with people for no reason. Like at the corner of Wilmington and Alondra. 
And I remember walking in there with him, and we was walking in, and some Samoan dudes was walking out. That was from Park Village Crip. Randy and Slim were affiliated with a different gang because of where they lived. You can, you can feel the hood shit when you walk. It's very profound, you know what I mean? Randy wasn't ever one to fight people, but Slim was always ready. So Randy and Slim walk past these guys, they walk into a t-shirt store, and then they walk out. They still standing there waiting. The one of the dudes is looking at Slim like, hey nigga, why you was looking at me like that for? And then Randy is thinking, damn, he gonna get hit with this shit. So neither of them said anything. Cause I'm I'm confused because I cause he, he, Slim was behind me when we walked in, so I didn't see what he did. But I, in my head, I'm this is all clicking in real time, happening like damn, he probably I know Slim man, he be on some extra shit. So Randy just looks at him. I knew he knew what they was talking about. The dude he asked again like, hey, I, I said why you looking at me like that from? Where you from, cuz? Where you from? people have been here before. I know I've been here before. And this situation can turn out in so many different ways. Sometimes it just takes a look and that look can mean your life. Give me one reason I shouldn't pop you right now. You put like flash this gun like, like, like nigga, I'll shoot you right here, bro. I'm going to de-escalation mode immediately. I'm like, Oh, nah, man, you know, it ain't nothing like that, bro. We just came to get a shirt. Like, we ain't on no gangbanging shit. At that point, I'm like, man, come on, Slim. Let's just go back in the store. So we just backpedaled a little bit and just walked into the store and stayed in there for a little while. They ended up leaving. And Randy and Slim left, too. Nobody's born hard. But most black and brown men in the hood are taught to be hard. It's almost like you have no choice. Because being soft might get you killed. Randy was quick to de-escalate things because of what he learned with the horses. Horses react to human energy, which is in the hood. You know, we at, like the hood, you, you animate it. But then the horses kind of make you be like, okay, I can't be waving my arms all around. I can't be doing all this, doing all that. Let me chill out. Let me calm my voice down. Hey, hey. It's not just a soft voice. This is a therapy center. Like, when you go to counseling, this has that essence. Equine therapy has tremendous impacts on people, maybe without them even knowing. The ranch provides some of that. So, you know, you might be one of the people that's doing all this and, yo, why, why? Let me slow myself down. Softening yourself, and then now you have success with the horse. A success with the horses can mean a lot of different things. For someone who has experienced trauma or PTSD, it can mean being healed. It can also mean taking control of a situation, de-escalation, or building trust. For Randy, it's meant learning how to navigate the streets. It's easy to take a life when you don't get life. But when you spend time watching a horse grow, you feeding it, it's loving you, you learning love, you learning life, that translates. Before you shoot somebody, you might think like, damn, man, there's somebody taking care of this somebody that somebody love. Love is what drove Maisha, and love is what continues to drive Randy. 15 minutes, we out of here. And sometimes, the love is tough. 15 minutes, we out of here. 15 minutes. Every time Randy walks around the ranch, 
Everything seems to be running smoothly. There's horses in the stalls. Every stall has a roof. And the youth program is up and running after a three-year hiatus. Randy's in charge now. I, I, I Sometimes I really felt like Maisha. I even felt myself telling myself, damn, you sound like Maisha. And if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to get that finger. Hey, Carlton, can you grab Red Dog for a minute? Because the barking is loud. So, matter of fact, tell Keenan to hold on for a minute. But ultimately, love won't pay the bills. I'm always thinking about the worst case scenario. I look at the bank account every day just because, you know, look at it every day just to make, just to look at it. I'm always like, man, what if I, what if I look at it one day and it's on zero? And that just thought crosses my head all the time. But then I'm like, it'll never be on zero if I keep working hard. And working hard means finding $20,000 a month to keep the ranch running. The Cowboys are still receiving donations. They're modeling. And they're receiving brand sponsorships. You've seen them before. I feel like I was destined to be a cowboy. Boot Barn, Abercrombie, Adidas. So when I'm on a horse, it's just... Levi's, Wrangler, Guinness. I think maybe, did I save the horse? Or did the horse save me? They've been everywhere. And these aren't small brands. The revenue streams are there. But unfortunately, they're not always steady. I'll have to hustle it every month. You know what I'm saying? And that's a lot. I feel, Randy, that is a lot. Listen. I may be way out of line here, but it seems like the Cowboys were set up for failure because when Maisha retired, she closed the Compton Junior Posse, the board dissolved, and donations stopped pouring in. And the same people who were once really invested in the Posse weren't invested in the Cowboys in the same way. But to be honest, it's way deeper than that. When the Cowboys took over, it was obvious they weren't the children they once were. Donors didn't see black men and black women as safe investments. At least not in the same way they saw black children. It kind of felt like white guilt kept the ranch alive for so many years. But at some point, the white guilt, like most things, had to come to an end. But again, this is just me. And maybe I'm tripping. Horses, supplies, and equipment, they all started to be sold off. Their trailers, too. They left the ranch and the cowboys with very little to succeed. They basically had to start over. But it really forced the cowboys to be creative. And it's part of the reason why Randy never takes a day off. There's too much riding on his shoulders, and not everyone always appreciates it. They, you know, I even said it to the group before. I was like, man, you know... It would be really nice if y'all would just say thank you sometimes because it's hard on me and I just want to know that y'all see and appreciate how much I put in maybe they just don't see I don't be crying in front of everybody but when I lay down on my pillow at night I'm stressing Randy doesn't cry in front of everybody but this isn't the first time he's cried in front of me. And when he talks about stress, 
I know he's not just talking about money. I got friends that got killed. I have friends that have been shot and killed too. My friend Marcus got killed. Like my friend Roach. In the daytime at the burger stand over there. My cousin got shot in front of his house right here. Like Oscar. Slim got shot. Brian. Black got murdered. Like my uncle. Lebo got murdered. This is all like right in the same like couple blocks like from right here. So it's not um, far-fetched to say that I could get killed. Think about that every day. Think about that all day every day. Like Randy, the names of my friends and my family hold different memories. It's something that we share. Randy really believes in the power of the ranch. It's why he wants to replicate the ranch model in black communities throughout the U.S. And he's not the first, because they already exist. In Houston, Philly, Baltimore, Atlanta, and other places. If it saved him and his friends, he thinks it could save others. And it's already happening. The Compton Cowboys have started a massive movement. I seen you before, you from Compton, right? Huh? Can't nobody tell me nothing. Little Nas X. Solange. Meg Thee Stallion. I wanna kick it with a horsey. Oh, I ain't never ran from a hoe, but I'll never let a bitch get a stain on my clothes. No, crying with my hands in the air, cause a nigga on the side with his fingers. Back on the ranch, there's a lot up in the air right now, and Randy feels the weight. The other cowboys feel it too. Keenan just had a baby, and he's unemployed. Anthony's step-grandson just got locked up. Kiara, the only woman in the group, is recovering from back injuries as she prepares to compete in rodeo again. But at least the Cowboys have the farms and the streets to ride on. And they have each other. Kenan and Stone are having a huge debate. They're arguing about drinking and riding at the same time. If I could go back and talk to young Walter, I would tell him that there were black cowboys all along, long before he was surprised to see them that day on Alameda Street. I tell him that black cowboys had a big part of the American West and that they came here to be free. Just like my grandfather, Walter Thompson, and thousands of other black men and women. I tell him that one out of every four cowboys was black and that they were some of the most daring and adventurous riders. And they had names like Bill Pickett, Nat Love, and John Ware and thousands others whose names we'll never know, but whose stories continue to live on today. They're embodied in people like Anthony. Every kid out here looking up to somebody. And it could be you, Walter, me, T-Man. So it's like you got to set an example, you know, a different path. That's what I love. See, I love doing that because I'm changing their life to be okay, what do you like? I like small horses, I like fast horses, I like horses that are used to like cattle, 
they're embodied in people like 10-year-old Josh. Do you guys rather want to go home to on your iPad or you guys want to be at the Compton Cowboys and walk in and be in a parade? Great. <laughs> Sleep until exactly. 7 o'clock. <laughs> like young Keenan. When you're on top of the horse, yes, yeah. it's like the world just chills out for a minute. It's like you're in control of something. And they're embodied in the city of Compton. Compton Cowboys! Right, Compton Cowboys! Cowboys. <laughs> Looking good, Compton Cowboys. Looking good. Black cowboys were never far from my home. If little me asked why he didn't learn about them in school, I'd say that some people in the world really wanted to erase the experiences of black cowboys from the history books. for the chorus for Sing About Me hit, it spoke to my five-year-old self and my 32-year-old self. When the lights shut off and it's my turn to settle down, my main concern, promise that you will sing about me, promise that you will sing about me. Kendrick's words really made me think about the legacy of the Compton Cowboys. It made me think about those who have come before us and now passed. I think he wrote this song as a way to honor those who've died while we're still here. You know, I've heard that in life. We die twice. The moment we physically die and the moment they stop singing about us. Kendrick's song is for those who can't sing anymore. The Compton Cowboys don't sing though, they ride. They ride to ensure that their stories live on forever. So that they aren't the last black cowboys in Compton. And that the work they put in mattered. And for the most part, I feel the same way. But it's hard sometimes because we're all just good kids in the mass city. The lead producer for this episode is Megan Tan. Supporting producer Tamika Adams. 
Our editor is Arwen Nix. Our producer is Elizabeth Nakano. Valentino Rivera is our sound engineer. Original music by Andrew Epen. Angela Bromstad is our executive producer. This episode was written by me, Walter Thompson Hernandez, with help from Megan Tan and Tamika Adams. I'm your host, Walter Thompson Hernandez. Oh, one more thing. I also wrote a book about these guys. You should check it out. You can find it wherever you buy books. California Love is a production of LAS Studios. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you. River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.